right, Jackson. Welcome <laughs> back we to are. the studio. Rocking and rolling, man. I'm going to just uh, say a couple words about our studio here. You know, I've noticed that it's gotten a little more full since the last time we recorded. Well, it gets, it kind of comes and goes. This is a little bit of a project area for me. And one thing we've never talked about is I have kind of a, I guess we'll call it a hobby of mending clothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, dude, lost art. They don't, uh, uh, they don't do that much. So, much of what you see in the background here is when Jackson calls me and says, Can we record? I'm coming through, I think. <laughs> this is me just basically <laughs> push it over like this. This little, it's called the darning mushroom. The darning mushroom. Interesting. So, anyone watching, you can see these. This will entice people to go watch on YouTube because. We're uh, holding up some interesting darning mushrooms. This darnings. one is actually from the 1800s. Okay. Got it on uh, Etsy. Huh. But I needed a, a very large diameter one where you look at this one. It's What is small. the process of darning? What is... Well, it's funny you ask, Jackson, because I have a YouTube channel <laughs> where I actually do this on YouTube. <laughs> I'm going to binge on it this week. Um, this, is not, this is not a cheap... Like a pitch for it? A pitch for it because... <laughs> I have no videos up on it. It's, okay. it's actually a future plan okay. at some point. I, something we've never talked about is my wife has a vintage clothing store. And sometimes she will find some tattered clothing that I'll repair that she'll then resell through her store. And there are people at time ask how it was done or want to contact me and see how they can do it themselves. So I just figured, well, I'll just record it when I'm doing it. Yeah. Well, there you go. I really did not know that you were doing that. So, I mean, I knew that you repaired clothes, but this is, this is good. So that's what, what this mess is. Yeah, you weren't even aware of why this is in various states of mess when you come yeah. here. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good, though. It's good mm. to have a little change of scenery. Some guys like to get out and hunt, fish, yeah. shoot guns. <laughs> Some guys like to just sit and sew. <laughs> just long hair, bearded, hunched over a sewing machine. <laughs> just clattering away. Oh, man. Have you ever had a pushy salesman? Oh, this, yes. Can I tell you something real quick before you get into this? Well, I'm, I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah. This just happened to me. On, so this last week was my first little NASCAR run. And we were fueling up in Dallas. We're on the south side of Dallas, fueling up. Everything's, you know, it, it went great, by the way. It's fun. We're fueling up in Dallas. And there's like a table set up out in front of the Flying J. And like six kind of car salesman type outfits, I guess. You know, kind of, what's that? Business casual dressed. Anyway. I'm not really sure what they're doing. So we fuel up, we grab our supplies as I'm walking out. I was waiting for, for Chris for a minute to catch up. And I'm like, so what, what's this? You know, been driving all night. Haven't talked to anybody. Just trying to make a little conversation, you know, then this gal comes up and starts talking to me and just casually talking. And she's one of the sales people. And I was, you know, just being friendly. Hey, yeah, these are our hauler trucks. We're hauling NASCARs to Fontana. And I don't want anything to do with whatever she's selling, some kind of insurance thing for truckers. And I told her right away, I was like, oh, so you're with this. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm all set up. But anyway, and then trying to have my, my chat with her and she just kept trying to push this thing in to where I was like, hey, I, I really, I'm okay. But she just kept going. And this happens when like, I have this weakness where like, like telemarketers will call and I'll answer it because it, they've somehow figured out how to use local numbers now. Mm -hmm. And in the trucking business, you kind of have to answer those phones, you know? So I'll pick up the call and they'll be like, Hey, I'm with the whatever so-and-so. And I'm like, Oh, Hey, right on, man. And I'll let them give their spiel for a second. Cause 
I can understand that that's probably not the most thanked, appreciated job out there. <laughs> so I'll give them their little thing and I'm like, hey man, I, I appreciate you taking the time, but I'm good. And they just steamroll that straight into like, no, no, hold on, hold on, sir. And I'm like, no, no, I didn't listen to you because I'm interested. I listened out of just courtesy and niceness. Don't mistake that for interest, please. And no, they just keep on marching to where you, they like force you to hang up. And like this gal at the truck stop forced me to literally walk away. Well, my, oh, I said, literally, I've been trying to cut that out, but I did actually just walk away. From Cause it. I was going to ask a zero what you figuratively, <laughs> figuratively walk away. Yeah. Did your eyes glaze over and in your mind? You, I, you, just, <laughs> I drove off in the truck in my mind's eyes, just like you, you went into a fugue state <laughs> and you, and you figuratively walked away and literally, <laughs> Oh, I've been doing good. I've been cutting that word out a lot. So anyway, salesman. Yeah. I, I have a week. I heard something sales. this week that you may try. Okay. And I don't know in these, these situations you described if they'd work, but you'll see some where they will. I was listening to someone who was talking about timeshares and have you ever heard a good thing about a timeshare? Not a single thing. I, I wish I would have written down the number that they said of yearly, the amount of money that sold in timeshares. Someone can correct me, but I felt like it was in the B billions <laughs> really? per year in timeshare sales, which I've, I've never heard a good thing and I've never met someone that had a good thing to say about it yet. They extremely high sales. So it was a salesperson that sold timeshares. The person I was listening to was friends with a, a timeshare salesperson. And the person I was listening to said that his buddy said, oh yeah, you can get over anything selling timeshares, no matter what they tell you. Here's what you say. Here's what you say. He goes, but there's one thing I've come across that you, you can't answer. It's like the ultimate roadblock. Let me pray on it. <laughs> <laughs> Shut him now. <laughs> when someone who he's trying to sell to says, you know, I'm going to let me pray on this. <laughs> That's it's like, it's just, he says it completely shuts him down. What you going to say? Like, okay, I'll, I'll pray that your prayers are like <laughs> firmed. It's, it's like, it's like this, it's like this off limits area. Once they, someone says, I'm going to pray. It's like, Ooh. So I don't know if it would have worked. You know, maybe the insurance girl. I should, I should, I'm going to do it next when, time. Uh, she's sitting there pushing. You're trying to get away and she keeps steamrolling. Instead, right from the beginning, say, I'm going to go pray on this. Where's your card? <laughs> I'm going to do that. <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what, I don't, yeah, what do you say? You know, actually in that situation, I could have, because it was in person, she kept wanting to give me her business card. Well, let me give you my business card. I was like, no, I don't want it. I will never look at it. I will not. I'm just waiting for my co-driver to come out so we can leave. I'm just being nice. And I should have just said, let me pray on it. And I should have just right there, just bowed my head. Oh yeah, that's even better. Just right to where they're like, yeah, if you ever in, been in these situations, you know, sometimes, you know, sales people as they should, that's their job. Yeah. That's their I job. I mean, it is. Yeah. That's how they feed their babies it's at like home. they got nothing to lose by just steamrolling. That, yeah. So I understand, I understand the need for it, but huh. It's, it's tough to, but yeah. So that's the thing you may start trying. I started in the, I did my first dental day in the jail this last week. Oh, okay. Yeah. Last week. Huh? Yeah. I mean, love it. I love being in the jail. There's one, so this is males and females. My first time with females. Oh, cause yeah, the prison was just all males. Which I mean, whatever, taking so, teeth out is taking teeth out. Did you encounter this in the prison? If they transition in the, if they transition at an all male prison, do they get transferred out or is there a special wing? No, no, nothing special. No. Hmm. There were some trans when I was at the prison, but they were, they were still with the, they don't recognize 
just not yet, but I don't know what level of transition. I don't. I don't, yeah, I don't even need right. to <laughs> shut that conversation <laughs> off because that is a rabbit hole that Calm doesn't man. end. Right. So anyway, I think the thing I find myself always, you know, after spending however much time there in the chair treating them, talking with them, I'm always. I wonder what. Huh. I wonder what they're in here for. Does that always come up? Huh. Every time. In my mind, it always does. And next thing I know, I find myself on the internet. <laughs> oh, that's how you figure it out. Yeah, just go start doing Google searches. Yeah, right, right. And the the county jails, you can go on their website and anyone who's in county jail, you can find who's in there. And usually I think it has what they're in there for. And then there's a, I think it's called ConWeb. You can go on there and you can look up any state. I don't know if it's any state. I know in Montana, you can look up whoever's there and what they're, what they're in there for. But the charge can be very broad. So you can... It can be charge or like a fraud, conviction, but you don't know what the fraud was. So you always kind of okay. go and try and find local news reports. Uh-huh. You know, so you just want to do a little. And but one of them, one of the people that I saw recently, she was 22 years old, and she federal. She was being detained federally by the U.S. Marshals, and I Native American, so her crime was committed on the reservation. I think I kind of have it figured out, state and federal because the reservations are sovereign nations that they don't when crimes are committed on the reservation they don't fall under the state and so it becomes federal purview because that was all that was a federal program yeah to start with but if if a native american commits a crime off of the reservation then it becomes is a state crime because it wasn't on the reservation i think that's how it works because I know it, it's kind of confusing where where people are, but I think think that's where it is. And if I need to be corrected, please please correct me. Anyway, so she, this girl, twenty two year old girl, in their federal waiting for sentencing. So I did a little detective work, uh-huh. curious what happened, and she was with a group of friends drinking, and someone in this group had a beef with a fifteen year old girl, so they made their way to her house, stood outside and the reports they enticed her to come outside. So it's a group of over 18 year olds uh-huh. enticing a 15 year old girl to come out and they come out and then they start assaulting her, beating her up and a bunch of passerbys, neighbors, whatever, hear the commotion and they come outside and start hollering that they're calling the police. So the group that had been drinking forces the 15 year old girl into a vehicle and they take her out to a field and oh. commence the beating. Oh, jeez! So thumping on her. So this, the girl in the jail, who I did the dental work on, she, let me remember here, she pleaded guilty to basically kidnapping a minor. I was going to say, then you're in the kidnapping thing. Federal minimum mandatory sentence, 20 years for kidnapping a minor. Oh, <sighs> 20 years to maximum life. So she's waiting for sentencing. So minimum mandatory means that she's going to get 20 years. No matter what. That's in in federal, the amount of time you have to do before you're eligible for parole is way longer than stateside. So she's going to, she's 22 years old. She'll, she'll have to do, I wish I could remember how much percentage of that federal. It's over 50% though. So, so 10 years for sure. Yeah. It'll be more than 10. Man, that's interesting because it happened on the reservation. Mm-hmm. So it's federal. Cool. 22-year-old girl with a group of friends drinking. One of them has a beef with this other girl. They thump on her a little bit. 
And then they all, I assume they're all in the same boat. They should be. Some of them pled guilty and some yeah. are pled not guilty. The thing is, I, you, I assume they're pleading guilty because I think they're going to get a better deal. Yeah. But if they plead not guilty and they're convicted, then they have potentially longer. Hmm. So this, so I, I don't know. I don't know what I think about that. You can't go take 15 year olds out in the you, field. Right. And you can't be doing that. But it's only, they're only getting that punishment essentially because they're Native American. I mean, well, right. If it was, if it no, was because if a there, state if thing, was, would it have been different? If there was another on the state level, that probably wouldn't have happened. I don't know on the state level if they have minimum that's mandatory what I, I guess sentencing. That's what I wonder. So, yeah, what's the state? I don't know if they have minimum mandatory on a state level. And so, but federal, I know they do. Uh-huh. And so uh-huh. there's a, there is a, I mean, you can go, I mean, go Google minimum mandatory sentencing. There's a lot of debate on whether they should have minimum mandatory sentences. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. Cause I mean, you're right. You're like, I mean, they're, they're adults. They're 20 something. So if you to 20 something year olds, so you can, you can imagine a minimum mandatory sentence of, of uh, someone with not that these people didn't have ill intent, someone with very ill intent, maybe, maybe to traffic a 15 year old girl. Yeah. Kidnaps her for that. Takes her and gets caught. Absolutely. I think there should be a minimum mandatory for that. Cause there was some pretty evil intentions, mm. but well, but look at this. If they were whooping on her and they got there, I mean, obviously she got whooped on for a long time in the front yard for people to finally come out and be like, stop that. Don't know that. It doesn't give any details of that. I I would assume it couldn't be just a 30 second beat down. It had to have been a few minutes, but they're, they're not in trouble for that. I know. I know. But so then you look at the intent now, what was their intent in kidnapping her, hauling her out into the country, dragging her back out of the car? I mean, how far is that going to go? What was their intent? So you would what say could have been you would intent? say twenty years minimum wow. in prison. Twenty years minimum. What was their intent? Were they going to murder her out there? Were they going to be? It doesn't sound like it. How do you know? Because no one interrupted them out in the field doing it. Yeah, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Man, I don't know. The reservation's rough, man. But if you happen to, oh, I think if you did that and cross state lines. You might, whether you're reservation or not, if you fall, if you happen to fall under the federal, this is why people have a lot of trouble with federal because they'll set one law and it's so broad they can put anything under it. Yeah. I, I don't know what I think about that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. I but don't... then you read stories of judges, someone committing a heinous crime and the judge giving them, you know, <laughs> time served, time served. See ya. <laughs> right. You're it's like, like What? what? So you could look on that side why minimum mandatory sentencing. Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, yeah. I, it's weird because you, you, you'd think as a judge or whatnot that they could they'd do a little better job of using their faculties to go, okay, well, in this case, let's apply, you know. Unfortunately, I don't think that's the case. It just doesn't seem to be the case. I, you have a 22-year-old girl. Think about, let's, she's, she's going away for 20 years. Think about your, what you accomplished. Oh, you're not even, you're not even 42 yet. Right. From age 22 to your entire life. It's your whole adult, like your productive adult life is. I would, I would say that, and this isn't, this isn't me saying what should or shouldn't be done. This is just me stepping back and going. Just looking at it from afar. They, she was part of a group. She was not even the ringleader. She just participated, which. Yes, she participated wrong. Shouldn't have done it. 
she's now will essentially probably become a completely non-productive member of society for the rest of her life. Yeah. 20 years in federal prison. You come out at 44 years old, 42 years old, whatever that is. One thing I noticed when I worked in the, in the prison is guys that were in their, you know, forties, fifties, sixties, who had received very long sentences in their late teens, early twenties. You have a, a social development that doesn't happen in the prison that mm-hmm. normally happens. So you have, 50 year olds that are still acting like an early 20 year old. So her social development will likely kind of be stuck at 22 because you don't develop normally in prison. Yeah. So when you come out, you have not had all that development. The chances of her becoming involved in something that will put her back in prison again, extremely high. So if you're looking at all to reform someone or to make people productive members of society, minimum mandatory sentences, I don't know yeah. if that's, but again, I see, I see why they could be beneficial to prevent stupid judges from issuing sentences that are, they're way too soft, way too soft on. Yeah, that's hard. And it's hard being a reservation situation because there's two reservation things. There's the, the old 1800s situation that, you know, created reservations and there's reservations today. And I think I can't speak to any other parts of the country, but I know there's major problems within that system today and nobody, I don't know the answer to it, but just from trucking through on highway 212, anyone that trucks through Montana has been across there. It's really, there's a lot of problems there. You can just tell driving through in 2023 that it, the whole place still has this feel of a, of a, like a system that you, there's no way out of. Oh, it's extremely broken. You know, I absolutely, with no hesitation, say putting 22-year-old girls from the reservation in prison for 20 years for being involved in a, a thumping. It's completely wrong. Right. What but happened to the 15-year-old girl? Yeah, 20, yeah. 20 years, like, they come out of prison after 20 years of no progress in their life and, yeah. and back to the reservation. How does that cycle ever stop? Right. But anyway, no, we don't and, need to get and, into solving the world's problems. I just well, thought it I mean, was really interesting it's, on it's, the... It's interesting. On... on what happened in this minimum mandatory sentencing, it kind of blew my mind. Yeah. Well, and especially where she wasn't killed, you know, like, you know what happened to the girl. She wasn't. So you'd think you could take that in consideration, but, but they can't because of the mandatory. It's like, well, this is what happened. This was the kidnapped you know, a minor, right? Kidnapped a minor and she got, she got beat up. Right. It wasn't kidnapped a minor who was then forced into a human trafficking situation disappears. And then, you know, it's recovery. It was just not that. I know. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah. It was beat up. If, if they would have been 17 and done it, <laughs> doesn't, they could have done a group. A year or two to get their vengeance. Uh, yeah. It, it's because uh, they're over 18. It, it, so it's all, just, anyway, on we go. That was yeah. kind, of, kind of crazy. Maybe speaking in, in that vein, I'm talking about this for a minute, this train derailment thing. I'm not talking from the perspective of conspiracies and things that, that are abound similar, not unsimilar to the conspiracies that abounded when there was a cattle facility, a processing plant that had a big fire in it. And then the food processing place had a fire in it across the country. And there was kind of this thing where everyone was like, this has never happened. Now there's all these fires. Well, I know of several kill plants in my career (laughs) of hauling livestock that have had major fires within them. So, you know, my perspective was just a little different. So, 
Before you go into what you're going to say, I want to add something to that. Okay. Because with this train derailment, I have had some people, conspiracy theory, you know, oh, did you see there was another one in Houston and this and that. With all the, the food processing fires that were happening through the COVID years, you know, there was a lot of conspiracy. Maybe, maybe not. If you don't know base rate, you don't know. Right. So, <laughs> so like train derailment, I think the United States averages almost three train derailments a day. A day. There's like, like over a thousand per year. So there's a lot of trains running around, man. <laughs> so if you, if, if all of a sudden there's sensationalized news stories of train derailments, it doesn't mean all of a sudden we have a huge increase. Right. The first thing you have to go do is find base rates. What's the, yeah. So if you, if you think, oh, there's food processing fire, someone's trying to destroy our food supply line. Okay, maybe go find the base rate. How many food processing, kill plant, whatever fires are there per right. year. Right. Divide that by, you know, 365 and that's going to tell you how many per day how many per week how many month whatever and you might find that oh this is actually a pretty regular occurrence right anyway right so base rate remember that everybody yes. before you freak out go find Just base rate base rates 100 percent. so my strangeness that i have just lay it out for you this is what's weird to me with this situation and before i talk about it i'll preface it with we work a lot in trucking, especially in the agriculture side of the industry with regulations, both from the EPA and the DEQ, Environmental Protection Agency, Department of the Environmental Quality. And they do lots of things like, I'll tell, in fact, I'll tell you one thing that this is going to be like my first get rich, not scheme, but my first, like, I'm going to get rich off this job. And what it was was they, some, they passed a, a regulation that in all construction zones, you were going to have to start putting up erosion barriers in the form of what they call a waddle, a straw waddle. And essentially what an, a waddle is, is you, you grind up straw and you put it inside a, like a plastic tube, like a long 20, 30 foot plastic tube. And anywhere in a construction site, you know, because there's all the bare dirt in construction sites, highway construction, anywhere that water maybe is going to flow and erode the site, you have to put a straw waddle around it to divert the water around and away, you know, around culverts or they just use them like crazy. Next time you're going through a construction zone, just, just look and you'll see these tubes and they're biodegradable. So once the job's done, they just kind of leave them to, you know, two, three years later, they break down and they're gone. But I had found out about this from a friend who had kind of dabbled in it. And he had made this machine that basically it was a, a big hopper that you'd chop straw up real fine and dump straw in this hopper. And there was an auger that they put in it and it would auger straw out this auger. And you'd kind of like making sausage, you'd put a bunch of that plastic netting over it and shoot straw out the auger and you'd make these waddles. And he was telling me about how, you know, at the time, because nobody was making them yet, like mass producing them. You were getting like a dollar a foot for them. So you make this whole semi-load of waddles. But the, the trick was you have to be able to sell them to construction outfits. And I personally was connected to two big highway construction companies locally where we live. So I'm like, I got, I got this. But by the time it, we got it kind of together and ready to go, it was starting to get mass produced by big companies and the market was like, went from like a dollar a foot to like, like two or three cents a foot for these waddles. <laughs> I mean, it just, that, and that's how things go. 
but that was born out of regulation, like, you know, a, an erosion protection regulation. Another one that we deal with a lot is after all these, these loads of cattle that we haul, we have to wash our trailers out. And it's not uncommon to find a washout that you like to rinse the manure out of your trailer and you use it regularly and you might come by a few weeks later and it's closed and then it's closed for a while and you're like, huh? And then maybe a year later you drive by and it's open again and you're like, hmm. And it, this is pretty normal. And what you find out through, you know, talking to people or the owners or locals or whatever is, oh yeah, so-and-so got shut down by the EPA or the DEQ because he wasn't properly, according to what they wanted, you know, he wasn't spreading the manure fast enough. There's getting to be too much manure in his lagoon. Feedlots that we haul the cattle into, they're very strictly regulated by storm drain runoff. So you got a big feedlot and when it rains a bunch, all this water runs down the pens. There's a lot of manure in the water and each feedlot, according to size and headcount, has to have a lagoon at the bottom of the feedlot somewhere that will catch all the storm one off all the manure and it sits there and settles for a while it's like you know it got to be plastic lined and then they got to pump it out and spread it over a certain amount of acreage my point is there's just all these very strict regulations oh like old gas stations around town and and, and you'll see this in a lot of small town america you'll see old gas stations that are just there you're like why doesn't someone tear this down or do something with it or I mean, the, the property's there, so get rid of the old store and build a restaurant or nobody can touch them because underground, there's these old gas tanks and anyone that purchases this property, you're tied to having to remove the gas tanks out of the ground. All the dirt and all these old tanks are contaminated with old fuel that seeped through the tanks over the years. And you have to remove a certain amount of soil that's contaminated, which I'm not refuting that, but what they do with that typically is loaded in dump trucks, haul it a hundred and some miles. Like in our case, it'd be 150 miles away to a landfill where they dump it back in the ground. And anyway, so it's just, that's just the way it is. Okay. So then you have this train derailment and I would think, give you one more example. We had a semi truck laid over by the ranch. Mm, it was just typical truck wreck and one of the diesel tanks got ruptured and a company had to come up from Billings and excavate the ground around where that tank ruptured and remove the dirt, come back in. And this is just a random piece of ditch, you know, on the side of the road. It's not like it was by anybody's houses or anything, just out in the country. They hauled dirt back in, had to reseed it. Anyway, I would have thought with this train derailment, as you learn about you know, they did these controlled releases, burnoffs. Well, I think the problem with that, that diesel, that truck layover, he, you guys didn't light it on fire fast enough. <laughs> That's what we've learned from the Ohio train wreck is anytime something spills, light it on fire, light it on fire. <laughs> so the, the government's like, yeah, no, it's, it's all good. After a couple days, you know, also they do all these burnoffs, all this stuff going everywhere. And they're like, you know, leave for a couple days. They're like, yeah, everyone come back. And I'm, I'm like, a truck tips over in the country in Montana and you got to excavate the place and they fence it off for, you know, a certain amount of time. It just seemed to me like 
I always thought that they take these things so seriously based on my experience with, you know, sewage lagoons at feedlots and cattle trailer washouts, seeing how all these old gas stations never get reclaimed because no one can afford to. Now they're just like, no, no, everything's fine. All the ground's fine. Don't worry about it. It's, it's no big deal. But if there was a gas station in that town that someone wanted to buy, they'd have to dig the tanks up and oh yeah, all this stuff. But don't worry about all the rest of the fallout from all these huge burnoffs. It's just so bizarre to me that they seemingly like don't care. It's like, if you're going to care about anything, this is the one. Don't worry about a little cattle trailer washout in the middle of Nebraska. Let's take let's take care of this is an actual, you know, ecological situation going on. Yeah. Environmental disaster. I just can't. It's, it's similar. To, that's when you were talking mandatory sentences. It made me just think like. It just doesn't make sense. And it's not from a conspiracy standpoint. It's just like a, if you're going to do your job in these small, meaningless applications, you darn sure better be doing your job on something that actually matters. All these people's lives and their homes. I mean, they're right here. No, no. Come two days later, three days later. Yeah, come on. Which breeds the conspiracy theories. Yeah. Which will end up being true. (laughs) And then the news was it yesterday that came out about the COVID likely came from a lab leak or whatever. And that was all put down as like, oh, you bunch of <laughs> conspiracists. So when you say it, it turns out true. But well, in defense of the, the COVID lab leak, I personally think it was a lab leak. Yeah. But that report was done by the Department of Energy. The FBI, I think, is in conjunction, but they put a low confidence on the report. Hmm. But yeah, and I mean, in the end, whatever it came out, I, I believe, there. I believe that it absolutely was lab leak for a number of reasons, but whatever it's here. Yeah. But it's, it's the conspiracy theories now about the train wreck. Wacko conspiracy theories. They'll be true. That's what, <laughs> if we've learned anything is that is the conspiracy theories are, maybe there's something to them. Rooted, always rooted in a little bit of truth. <laughs> oh, man. I'll tell you a funny EPA, FDA little tidbit for dentistry i'm gonna say most of the listeners including myself have silver fillings in our teeth mm. i don't do silver fillings in my dental practice but they're still done it's called amalgam amalgam has mercury in it so everyone that has silver fillings you have mercury in your mouth right now so before that silver filling is placed in your mouth the product is under the control of the epa before before it's placed in your mouth okay so is it sitting on the shelf in a dental office being wait waiting to go in the patient's mouth the epa controls that if you you can't just go throw it in your garbage if you have some expired stuff i don't even know if it expires but let's say it does (laughs) you can't go throw it away because it's an environmental hazard has mercury in it okay when it goes into your mouth it leaves the epa's purview now it's under the fda purview where the FDA says it's totally fine. And then if it fails or it needs to come out of your mouth, when it's taken out of your mouth, that amalgam is now out of your mouth and it's under EPA control. And if a dentist doesn't handle that and dispose of it correctly, you can have... You can be in trouble. You can be in trouble. So before it goes in the mouth, you can be in trouble if you don't handle it right because it's so toxic. <laughs> when it's in your mouth, because the FDA is in control in your mouth, it's totally okay, no problem. <laughs> But when it comes out of your mouth, when it comes out of your mouth, it's back into the EPA control and it's so toxic that it has to be handled very particularly and it can't just be disposed of down the drain or whatever. 
So what I'm taking from this is probably the safest way to dispose of it is to ingest. <sighs> Let it work its way through and naturally deposit it back into the earth. Yeah, I don't, maybe so, maybe I don't know. I, but it, it, I think it just outlines the ridiculousness of, again, our three-letter just, agencies. Yeah, it's just these, these contradictions where you're just like, what? I mean, it, just... It, how can it be how can it be okay in your mouth right and totally fine but it before it goes in your mouth and after it comes out of your mouth it's so toxic that you can end up being fine and put in i think you can probably end up being put in jail if like, you don't handle it yeah who knows what mandatory <laughs> sentence they have <laughs> mandatory sentence it depends where you dispose of it at oh. <laughs> was it state or federal guess, just make sure it never leaves your mouth <laughs> jeez i wanted before we get into another subject here had a an email came in this week had a question for you and it was electronic logbooks. And you, cattle hauling, you don't fall under electronic logbooks? No. Okay. He said, I see Jackson's doing some grain hauling. Are you under electronic logbooks with the grain? No. While you haul? No, and I'll explain. Okay. So initially, you're required to have an electronic logbook, which for those of you that don't truck, essentially it's a device that plugs into the control module of your vehicle. And any time that your vehicle moves, it logs the time that your vehicle is moving. So it's a, it's a counter that keeps track of the minutes and seconds and hours that your vehicle moves. So there's no way that you can move your vehicle without it being accounted for. And no way that you can change that or alter that. So that's what an electronic logbook is. All semis that are made from the year 2000 and newer. So 2000, 2001, 2, 3, 4, up the line till today are required to run an electronic logging device to keep track of their hours. Now, because the technology in the older trucks isn't as compatible with the newer technology, they drew a line there and said anything older than 2000, so 99 and older. And there was only electronic controlled trucks from like 90, it's kind of debatable, but 92-ish, 93 to 90 nine so there's just that little span of years where they said if you have one of these motors that was made in these few years you're exempt so in the case of cattle now let's flip over in the case of cattle you can have any age truck you want and you are not required to have an electronic log device because you're hauling livestock and this is what's funny again we've mentioned this in the podcast is that you're not allowed, you're given the freedom to not use an electronic log so that you can, we, roosters always call it fudging your logbook. You can fudge your logbook. There's some really stupid rules that don't make sense, just like anything else, with logbooks. Like I've mentioned before, if you drive out to a ranch to load cattle at 8 in the morning, it's, it's 3 miles away from the truck stop, your clock starts at 8 o'clock in the morning. Say you go out to the ranch 5 miles away. And you sit from 8.05 until 4 in the afternoon. All those hours that you sat there doing nothing are counted against your workday because you moved your truck. So by having a paper logbook, they know that livestock haulers need to be able to fudge their logbook. So they say, well, we'll give you paper logs so you can fudge your logbook and make this cattle deal work. Instead of just saying, hey, you haul livestock, let's reform the rules so you can use an electronic logbook and do it properly. The government has just said that's you're exempt. So we're exempt in any age truck hauling livestock. So the next part of that question was you're hauling with the hopper. Do you now need to use an e-log? If you have a truck that is 2000 or newer, then yes. 
I do not. I have I, my trucks are gliders, which means they're a newer truck, a late model truck that has an old engine, one of these exempt engines. And to be honest with you, I I more have my my trucks with old engines because I like the reliability. The not having to run an electronic logbook is kind of a, just a plus. But the, my main purpose in having those is because of the reliability of those engines. And we live in such a rural setting that you need to be able to, to work on your stuff. All right. So in answer to that email, if you had a new newer truck, yes, you would have to be electronic logbook when you're pulling hoppers. Right. But because you have an older truck, you could haul anything and you don't have to. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. So before we started the episode, we put out a little, a little snippet on Instagram, letting people know that we're going to be recording and asking if anybody wanted to pop in with a question via direct message to my Instagram page. And I got a couple and one of them actually dovetails right into this. This is from old Mr. Bob by <laughs> he's been a long time trucker follower and he's a trucker himself. He asked how the first hauler trip went and hauling for NASCAR. And I can, I'll keep this I don't, I don't want to get into that yet. So I want to talk more a little bit. So that'll be answered in some other stuff. We're going to talk a little more okay. length though. Because I have that ties into e-logs. There's a thing there that I can. We'll, we'll pull okay. it all together. All right. So everyone who, who wrote in with questions, thank you. We're not going to answer them. <laughs> so Luke's the boss. So there we go. So yeah, let's, uh, let's spend the rest of the episode talking about your, uh, your NASCAR haul. Yeah. You know what? Let me answer this. I can do this one simple. Okay. This is from Brian Daniel on Instagram. Hey, Brian. He was wondering how we ended up from where we grew up here to uh, being on a cattle ranch a couple hundred miles away. And uh, in a nutshell, an opportunity came up almost 20 years ago now for Rooster and, and mom to cattle ranch full time. And when the opportunity came up, Rooster at heart, he, he's, he's a good trucker, but he's a cowboy at heart every day. So when they had the chance to transition from trucking to ranching full-time, they, they jumped on it. And as far as distance, where, where we grew up in Fairfield is far, farm, variegated farm. It's not yeah. really ranching. Yep. And Lewistown is just prime Montana ranch country. So central, I shouldn't say Lewistown, central Montana is prime country. So, yeah. Speaking of, of questions like that, we've had comments here, there about, oh, you should do a call-in show. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> I think we should. It'd be cool. And I, I, I don't think it will be live because we're not set up for that. But yeah. it, will be, it will be fun to have call-ins that we're recording and then... Yeah, and, then and, and I think we could do it something like that where we let people know, like, we're going to have a call-in on this night at this time. Call in, we're going to record it, and we'll upload it when the time comes. And the other... And I think it will be not just, you know, questions, but we get a lot of feedback from from people who've been driving for a long time who have you know all oh, this reminds me of when this happened and i think it'd be neat to just have people come on and share these stories but in that 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 vein of mentorship because through these stories you have lessons that you learn mm -hmm. that you can apply right so so yeah we're we're we've been kicking that idea around again it's just more of a you know i we always say like we want to spend more time doing this and there's so many things we want to do it's just a matter of you have to somehow monetarily <laughs> figure out a way to, we can put, we can afford to do this because we have the money now to spend time doing 
more of this than real work, so to speak. <laughs> so yeah. to speak. It's kind of a hard thing, but and yeah, and speaking of that, we've talked about on the YouTube channel for the Steady at the Wheel having the some how to's, educationals, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. So as we are thinking about doing that and we've been talking about different different tutorials, maybe I don't know what you want to call them. We've got some ideas, but if there's anything that you guys think Jackson might be able to share some expertise on that you wouldn't mind seeing actually a dedicated video to that, let us know. Yeah, because we're developing. Yeah, we're, we're working developing. on ideas and mm-hmm. we're, we're planning stuff. You know, like, like we say, we've got our full-time lives and jobs and we have to kind of squeeze this in around where we are making our, our income. But as we continue to develop this, we do develop revenue streams from it. And that will allow us at some point to hopefully yeah. put more content out there. So if you have ideas of things that you might want to have Jackson do, or if any of you want me to show you how to do any kind of a stitch, if you have a hole in your jeans. And you how want, to master the mushroom darn. Yeah, a, mush, a darning mushroom. Darning mushroom, my bad. Um, you know, if, you, if, there's, <laughs> if you have a hole in the elbow of your, your jacket versus your jeans. But just guys, email it, that stuff to us. But in seriousness, your patches are dope. Your fixes are sweet. Let us know because yeah. we are we are compiling this stuff and we're working on it and we're always planning and talking and we're slowly inching towards it. Yeah. The best way to let us know is to email us at steady at the wheel yeah. podcast at Gmail. Direct messages are nice, but they get they're gone. It's like, oh, where who was that? Where was that email? You can organize it and so yeah. Going. If you have any ideas or requests of of potential videos or tutorials that you would like us to to try and focus on absolutely anyway all right now let's talk about what we're here to talk about and that's <laughs> that's your nascar trip <laughs> so we talked about this a couple weeks ago jackson was going to start driving for nascar yep dale earnhardt jr jrm right. junior motorsports junior junior and i have learned <laughs> i've been corrected that it's not dale earnhardt it's absolutely junior and i I so you, you know that I mean you know that but it's just one of those things that keeps coming out the wrong way so Jackson is going to talk more about this but he was going to be team driving with trucker Chris who yeah. we did have on a while back and I I kind of hit Jackson hasn't done a whole lot of team driving other than maybe with Weston right so I kind of was you know saying I wonder how this <laughs> relationship is going to develop you guys are in this truck a long time and I I think a couple weeks ago I might have mentioned that I know who's going to get the first, who's going to get the first sip of the, out of the, the pea cup, which was put in the wrong place. The thing that I really <laughs> thought there was going to be some conflict in is, you know, Chris has been sleeping for six, eight hours and he wakes up and they're a few hundred miles from where he thought they were going to be because Jackson, I absolutely, and, we, and I want to talk about this today. Yeah. Jackson absolutely focuses on miles per gallon above all else almost more than he watches pennies <laughs> and so i i thought there might be a little bit of conflict on that team driving when jackson you know was keeping that thing at 62 instead of 68 and have have you ever been in a situation where you've been trained to do something a certain way your entire life your entire life your actual entire life literally your entire life <laughs> yes <laughs> and in one moment you are told all those things just in this window of time throw it all out the window and forsake your ways and go and do have you ever ever been in that 
Can you think of one? I it's, probably could. Usually, usually I label it as cognitive dissonance. <laughs> have you ever heard that term? <laughs> I've heard of it, but I have no idea what it means. Well, we'll talk about that another okay. time. So the, the best way to describe it is when you work with dad and Lyle, Uncle Lyle, at the same time, working cattle at the same time. Dad's like, here, do, do this. And that's the way dad's always taught us. And then he leaves to go do something. And Uncle Lyle shows up and he's like, what are you doing? And you're like, I, dad, no, I'll do that. And you're like, okay, okay. So you start doing that. And then dad comes back and he's like, do you listen to anything I say? And you're like, what, what, what do you mean? Uncle Lyle said to do this. Who's the boss of you? I'm like, well, you are. Well, then do it the way. What am I supposed to do when Lyle tells me to do it this way? You know, you, you get back and forth. It's similar to that. So you say, let me pray on it. Let me pray on it. <laughs> Dude, it, it, it was great. So the life of a co-driver is bizarre. Essentially, what they're using me for is just for long hauls. Anytime that they have trips that require more than one, what they would call a duty cycle, basically any place that takes longer than 11 hours to drive to, essentially, they need me to, to come out to drive because they need to move and go straight through. If it's longer than 11 hours, single driver, you have to stop and rest for yeah. how many hours? 10 hours. 10 hours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so it would take, an, you know, basically an extra half a day to get to where they're going. So racetracks like, so everything, everything bases out of Mooresville, North Carolina, which is just kind of up above Charlotte there a little bit. And the trips for just as an example, like we went to Fontana, California, Southern California. My next trip is to drive home from Phoenix. So I, I drove out to Fontana, then they flew me home and I've been home doing my own deal, trucking on my stuff then in another well by the time this comes out it'll be the week i'm flying back now to phoenix to catch the last race of their western circuit and then i'll help them drive back to mooresville and then i'll fly home then next one after that i think is austin texas you know it's a it's a pretty good drive out to austin so we'll do that it's a lot of back and forth and you, you might have the question like well isn't there a more efficient way like why are they flying you in from Montana? There's got to be some other truck driver somewhere that's capable of driving a 10, 10 or 11 hour shift to get to these places. And the answer is yes, there, there are, but I kind of, kind of push Taylor and I kind of plan on this as a way to bring some cool new content to YouTube. And also <laughs> Taylor reminds me, I'm always like, well, thanks for this opportunity. And he's like, no, no, I specifically picked you because of your energy and your enthusiasm. And he goes, if my main driver, Chris, is upset and frustrated with his co-driver, it bleeds off into his every day. And if Chris is unhappy, then I'm unhappy. So if you make Chris happy, then Chris makes me happy. And then he's really into the, the whole crew really on the same page. And he, he's he said, I was very deliberate in, in pushing for this, you know, because normally, no, they don't fly people in and do this and spend this kind of money. It's one for his crew. And two, I'm running the social media somewhat account of Junior Motorsports. While I'm on the road, I create video content and put out, you know, make videos of what, what are we doing? What's it like to be a hauler for, for a race team behind the scenes? And so I'm trying to bring them some good value. And we did, we kicked out, kicked out like three, uh, three videos on Instagram that if you go look at junior motorsports page, you can see them on Instagram. They're good. They turned out really well and their fans really liked them. They got a lot of views. <laughs> so that's good. And they saved some money in diesel. Yeah. So, so, so here's the thing. 
we roll into the first fuel stop after the first so i drove the first night right off the bat and we roll into the first fuel stop the next morning and chris is filling up and this is you know i'm done with my shift but we're fueling up so you know go to bed but before i go to bed for the day we finished filling and i said how how'd it turn out what do you mean actually you know, what do you mean <laughs> and they said how many gallons did we put in we put in 190 gallons and the other truck put in 215 <laughs> and i stuck with them it wasn't like i was way back in the dust but just my flow of not maybe leaving the cruise control on on, the, on all the hills stuff like that saved that many gallons and what's that 25 gallons over the course of the night so that doesn't seem like much, but 25 gallons at $5 a gallon, that's value, right? So I'm bringing value. I actually am bringing value, <laughs> saving them some money and then, you know, doing all this. But Chris also, speaking of, you were worried about us having our whiz mix up, you know, with our whiz bottles and stuff. Chris, very first thing when we moved in, he said, so I have like a, a cupboard, a little locker in the truck on one side and he has the locker on the other. And he goes, I already got two big old sweet tea jugs there. So if you need to use the bathroom while we're driving and you're sleeping, you know, we have our, our separate sides. And so he's very organized. <laughs> the tea jugs. <laughs> yep. Oh man, Chris is great. I, uh, we seriously couldn't be more two peas in a pod. There's like, there's not, of course, not. there's just, there's not going to be any friction at all. It's, it's fun to tease about, but. Like, for example, he's like, wake me up. I mean, just wake me up. If you get tired at two or three in the morning, just, you know, wake me up. I can start driving whenever. And I'm like, I'm not going to wake you up. I'm a bull hauler. Like, wait, come on, man. You know, and I think it was nice for him to get a, like a night's sleep. I will say that co-driving is horrific <laughs> in terms of your quality of sleep because, you know, you drive through the night and then you go back and lay on the bunk and, you know, Chris drives and Chris is a good, great driver. The roads are so rough and I'm not like a big old guy, so I don't have a lot of weight to hold me down on the mattress. So when we're hitting bridges and stuff, you're like, you're supposed to go back there and sleep for 10 hours just for the day. Like, yeah, just go back and sleep for 10 hours. So you're ready to drive tonight again. And you just lay back there in these bridges and boom. And then you get into rush hour traffic and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, and you're about to roll out of the bunk and then you take off again and you stop it and go in and you sleep for a couple hours you know but it's i was teasing that i think the best way to have our nation's infrastructure properly assessed would be to team a member of congress with the trucker and have them go lay in the bunk and drive coast to coast <laughs> and say this is the reality of the situation oh. why don't you fix it but uh, no it was great we uh, we rocked right out there they had some snow delays in california it was snowing when we got into the valley huh which is crazy you know for uh, normal for us no, when i was going to school in, in tennessee at nashville i was in a music production class i think was the name of it but anyway our instructor had been a i can't remember what instrument he played but he'd be hired for bands all the time to be backup instruments you know when the band would go on the road and they have extra musicians playing okay and he was talking about the lack of sleep on these big fancy tour buses <laughs> even though they have their private bunk. And mm -hmm. he said he was a pretty smart guy. So I, I buy into that. He knows what he's talking about. He said, you know, for you to get adequate sleep, you need to get into that deep REM sleep. You know, when you sleep, you kind of go through cycles up and down of REM, then kind of out then deep again. And he said with the vibrations and the road and everything, 
that you sleep, but you never get into that get deep. deep sleep. And so you actually never, never actually get, get rested, even though you think you sleep and, you know, over time it, it catches up with you a bit. Yeah. Oh, and if he thought a, a big old tour bus was bad, imagine a little stubby. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful Peterbilt truck, but it's like, oh. So night two, they're like, all right, you ready to roll? And you're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good thing you haul cows because I'm, <laughs> I'm like, oh. But I mean, we made it through the second night. Actually, I felt a little better than the first night. But yeah, it's, it, and it's fun again, just. I hate to always be dogging on regulations, but they just don't make sense. Like team trucking like that would make more sense to switch off every five hours. Just doop, 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 doop. But you can't. The regulations don't really allow that. But because you you might sleep for two or three hours, decent, and then you're up and you're trying to sleep. And it's like, what? Let, let's just switch off every five hours around the clock. Mm. And everyone, you know, you utilize your sleep much better. But again, that's just not the way the... The rules go. So Bob, now this was Bob's question was how was the NASCAR haul? And I will say I had two firsts, two things that I've never experienced in my entire trucking career happened all within one moment. And that was that I had to use an electronic logbook for the first time in my life because there's no exemptions for a race car and race car haulers. And the other was that I drove a ISX Cummings. Ooh. Did you catch it? Not the Cummins. Cummins. Cummins there, yeah. Cummins. <laughs> I drove an ISX Cummins for the first time ever. These engines have been around since like 2001, 2-ish, basically. And I've never driven one. I've never even driven one. I've never owned one, obviously, but never even driven anybody's. And this engine's been around and it's kind of the engine of the road these days. And first time ever driving one. Right, so. Did it live up to the hype? Me, me. It's not like a, not I, like a Detroit. I will say that it does not have the power that my souped up little Detroit has. It just doesn't have it. It doesn't have the, so, but that's, you know, that's my little engine's got some extra specialties on it. So, so you, you must not be that impressed because all you have to say is you drove it <laughs> and it's just like almost silent. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I mean, it was just, I, you know. An engine's an engine, I guess, to a point. But so when we talked about at the beginning of all this, I said, have you ever had an experience where everything you've been taught your whole life, you just had to throw it out? That was, if I had to sum it all up, that was the experience as far as Chris is like, look, we got 2,400 miles to go. So we just, we just go. I mean, it's a race company. So fuel and things is kind of, it's a pretty small expense in the grand scheme of you know, we put these $30,000 motors in these race cars and they have, you know, they have four active cars and each one has several cars being built to replace it in the shop. I mean, the race shop had probably, I have to guess, 15 or 16 cars that were being built. Plus each hauler has two cars in it. So, I mean, all these just, there's so much money in this, in racing. and. He goes, I, I mean, I know you're a fuel guy and all that, but <laughs> just remember what we're doing. So it's pretty much the speed limit, so to speak, from start to finish. Like me, like when I shift gears, you know, I'll grab a higher gear and real easy. Just, oh yeah, uh, ease back into that. There we go. Now we'll get under the load again. It's more like, no, no, just shift it. Let off the gas, put it back on. Just, we, we got to go. 
And I lose a lot of momentum shifting that way, but I gain a lot of fuel mileage. So he's like, just, just go. So night one, <laughs> I was a little bit more like, you know, 65 to, you know, 72 ish, 75. And the night two was running the desert, which is West Texas, 80 mile an hour speed limit. And we lived up to the NASCAR hype on night two. I was like, Okay, you're you know you know what you're right. This is my one chance to just roll because every time I drive my trucks, it's gonna be nice and easy. But it was I was like, Roosters taught me my whole life how to drive a truck. I've developed my methods, and this is just think of it like going on vacation. Like you know what, we're on vacation. Let's let's splurge a little bit, right? Like let's go have that eighty dollar steak. <laughs> That's kind of what this experience is as far as the truck driving goes. It's like a truck driving vacation as far as how you <laughs> physically drive the truck. Well, so that's, I think the next time we get together, we need to focus on to that episode on your relationship with miles per gallon. Uh-huh. Yeah, that'd be a fun one. Because you have a compulsion about it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. But that compulsion, you know, has paid for a boat. Yeah, at least it for, does. I mean, I mean, it does. It So... Like, I don't know that everyone's going to go to the extent that you go, but there's some things that you, some tips that probably, you know, just a little bit of efficiency, you know, it doesn't take much before you look at that diesel fuel bill and go, whoa, whoa. See, and, and, and I'll, I'll just kind of tease that episode with people often comment because I've got these, these cat, this cab over collection and a lot of, you get a lot of comments like, man, those are what a, what a cool, fun, beautiful, you know, whatever, however you want to describe it you get those messages from people and it usually ends with, I, 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 you know, I'd love to have one of those one day or I wish I had one of those. And, and my thought always is all you got to do is slow down a little bit and you can buy one every year. You can buy a cab over every year. You could buy a, you know, a long nose Peterbilt every year to work on and restore just by changing a few driving habits. So when people are like, well, I could never drive 64 miles an hour. I'm like, but if it meant that you got to have a cab over at the end of the year or, you know, fill in the blank with whatever, more money in your pocket, you know, a, a boat for the family, a cab over to to work on or whatever you want to enter there. Do you not want that more than you want to drive 72 versus 64? I won't get into the details of, of all that, but we'll go through the math and, and some of the habits and stuff. It's, it'll just, it'll really blow your mind if you're just honest with yourself and allow the numbers to sink in it's crazy all right so yeah i think that'll be a, a thrust of next episode are we, are we getting close yeah you have some a couple more things uh, no i was gonna mention i had a just i'll close out with this funny little memory because i'm here in you know here to to record with you because i'm loading here in the morning and it's funny how this always this seems to work i've had more loads in this country this year than like my whole life it seems like because <laughs> That's always when we record. Yeah. You come over and pick me up, you know, in the truck. And anyway, I'm loading malt barley here at the, at the elevator, at the Anheuser-Busch elevator to go to Winona, Minnesota. Somebody out there listening probably has a connection to Winona, Minnesota. And that's where I'm headed. So it made me think of, you know, these are the elevators of our life, right? They're these huge elevators in town. They take up the town. I mean, it's the town. When you drive through, it's these monstrous elevators. And I was thinking about, have I ever loaded? Have I ever been in these elevators? I mean, I've driven by them. I've, I've, you know, worked for these farmers that sell so much of their product there. And I realized that I've only been to those elevators one time 
in a trucking capacity. And I mean, the, the funny part of the time that I was there was I was working for a, for a farmer here on the edge of town and he, we were harvesting close to town. When we harvest way out of town, he has an old retired guy that would come drive his truck and his truck was, it's this old, it's like a 70, probably 76, 1977 Mack truck with twin sticks, which, you know, is basically two transmissions you're running. It just takes a lot of, it takes a lot to drive them. And we were harvesting up by the cemetery. And so he's like, you can, you know, you can run these loads to the elevator. And I'm like, oh, sweet. Well, at the time there was this girl that I was kind of chasing, trying to impress whatever. And it was, you know, late summer, school's getting ready to go. And, and so I had called her and was like, can this be a good chance to kind of, kind of impress? So I called her up and I was like, Hey, do you want to, you want to come ride in the semi, <laughs> you know, to come to the, just got to make a few loads to the elevator. And she's like, yeah, no, that sounds good. And, uh, and I, so we, you know, we get together, whatever she jumps in and we go out and we get these big loads from the combine and driving the old Mac, the twin sticks, you know, which to me in my mind is like, so I'm like, is there anything more impressive? I mean, I'm 17 years old and like, you know, like, yeah, check this. I'm driving this big truck. And it was as if like, there wasn't a care, like, like, oh, whatever. Like she just didn't quite sink in for her. <laughs> you know, like nowadays, if like that, if I was around some, you know, young fella like that, that was running twin stick Mac, kind of be looking at my daughter going, what, what do you think about that guy? Like, is he, <laughs> is he someone, but I never, I just never could quite, quite get her one over. Just didn't never, never happened. I was, I was competing with, Guys that were wearing, you know, Billabong t-shirts and lucky jeans and had frosted tips, you know, on their gelled hair, stuff like that. It just didn't jive. So that was my time. That was the time. The only time I've been in that facility. And tomorrow will be the second. Huh. <laughs> kind of a dumb story, but that's, that's what it was. It's a tremendous story. I'm just trying to think <laughs> if there's anyone we can throw in to see if you can impress them with your... <laughs> With my, your with my truck and your skills. miles per gallon. <laughs> hey, I can. Get... Hey, ladies, <laughs> how many miles per gallon do you think I'm getting? <laughs> oh man! All right, everybody. Well, again, if you had, you want to reach out to us, steady at the wheel podcast at Gmail. Oh, huge thanks for uh, getting over a thousand subscribers on YouTube. I won't, I think we need to put that out for everybody, just as a little patch on the back. I was coming to that. I'm glad you sorry, beat me. Sorry, sorry. No, sorry. I was coming to it. I was going to say, yeah, thank you. We got over a thousand subscribers on YouTube. If you haven't typed to our YouTube channel, please do. We will be adding at some point more than just the podcast to that channel. Yeah. Which we, yeah. we touched on. Anything else, man? No, I think that's uh, going to do it. We're, uh, we'll hit this trip tomorrow. And then uh, next time we record, I will have back. We might be having to do one on the road from Phoenix, potentially. So. Oh man, that'll be our next time. Road from Phoenix, where Jackson is hot and heavy in NASCAR. <laughs> what actually? When is that? What date is that? Fly to Phoenix on March 10th. And when do you guys leave? So the 10th is a Friday. The race is on Saturday, and then we pack up after the race. I believe we start driving home Saturday night. It'll be my first shift. Good times, man. Yeah. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>